I did not anticipate uh, teaching tonight. It was uh, Brother Victor was planning to teach. Brother, come on, if you could, uh, try to see if you could get that clicker working. Uh, no matter what, these, this small of a crowd, uh, we can't lose anybody. So I'll have you come up here no matter what. But if you're able to get that clicker working, that would be great. Um, Brother Victor was supposed to be teaching tonight, but uh, he let me know just a couple hours ago, a few hours ago, he had his car broke down. It was a pretty big deal. He's going to have to get some special work done to it, so he's unable to do it. So I didn't have much time to put this lesson together, but I feel God is in it. And uh, we're going to be continuing a series that we started uh, a few months ago, praise God. And, uh, and I'm excited to continue into it. So Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 11, this is what we call the ministerial office gifts. These are the gifts that God has given to the church to benefit the church, to help the church. And we'll talk about that very quickly. This is lesson six. So we've already done this quite a bit. I only get to about one or two of these a month, but let's read it. So Ephesians 4 and 11, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Could you go and uh, help Brother Kavan see if he can get that, that work in? Um, so he gave some apostles. This is what we call, we, another word for it is the five-fold ministry. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. We've already talked about the apostles, the prophets, and evangelists. Uh, and tonight we'll be talking about the pastors. But as we continue to read verse 12, we see the reason that God gave the church these offices. It is for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come, thank you so much, to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we be henceforth no more children. Now that, that right there is an important uh, factor to this. He says, I, I don't want you to be children in the Lord anymore, babies in the Lord. But the fivefold ministry, I've given you these so that they can help you to mature in Christ, to grow in Christ, to become stronger in Christ. Hallelujah, that you be no more tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. Obviously, he's alluding to this uh, idea of a tree. Hallelujah, that you be planted like a tree with roots that go down deep. And as a tree with roots down deep, it doesn't matter what wind of doctrine, what false doctrine you hear, what the world says about this or that, what the next fade is, the next fad is, you're going to be grounded in the truth and in the Word of God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. By the slight of men and cunning craftiness, meaning there's some who are lying in wait to deceive, some that will want to purposefully and maybe even they themselves are deceived, 
But thank God for the fivefold ministry, the ministerial office gifts. How we, we just pray and ask God to bless this today. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word and what you're about to deliver today. I pray, Lord Jesus, you would help me, God, to communicate this effectively. Help me to speak directly what you want me to do and help me to say what you want me to say and do what you want me to do, nothing more and nothing less. I thank you, Lord God, and I praise you, Lord, for you are so good to us, God. You're so good to us, Lord, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, God bless you. You can be seated. So I know uh, we've gone through this a lot, this introduction. We've gone through it every time, but I feel that it is important today to go through this specifically for this lesson. So the goal of the ministerial office gifts or the fivefold ministry is to help uh, the saints mature in the Lord. That's the goal for the fivefold ministry. That's what they're setting out to do, to help people become spiritually mature in Christ. That is the point. So what does spiritual maturity look like? So this is just, just a few things, but in this passage of Scripture specifically, it gives us these three things. Number one, unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of uh, Christ. Son of God, I believe, actually, uh, that's supposed to be. But um, so unity of the faith. First of all, this, these, the reason I'm talking about these, we have not talked about this list specifically every week, but I'm talking about it today because this is specifically where we can see the role of the pastor being fulfilled. Because spiritually, Mature, a spiritually mature church looks like this, unity. Unity. That's what a spiritual mature church looks like. There's unity among the saints. Unity in their faith. Unity in their vision. Unity in their pursuits. Hallelujah. God help us to bring us into unity. Praise God. The second is perfection according to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's, that's a high order right there, right? Hallelujah. Let's not undermine that. First of all, that, that first word right there is a big deal, perfection. Can, can anybody raise your hand if I say, okay, who's perfect here? All right, no, no hands are raised. You perfect, Rebecca? You are, per you are perfect, baby girl. I love you. All right, but yo, but perfect, perfection. He says, we're working towards perfection. That tells me that the five-fold ministry's job is never done, right? <laughs> it's never done because we're not perfect and God help us. Maybe one day we're perfect in his eyes, but I, I got a feeling I won't be perfect until I get up into heaven and he brings me home, praise God. But that doesn't stop me from pursuing it, right? That shouldn't stop us from pursuing it, and it shouldn't stop the fivefold ministry from trying to perfect and help the church to grow like Christ and to become like Christ. And then third, stability. Stability. It is the role of the fivefold ministry to try to help the saints become stable in their walk with God. Not here today, gone tomorrow, right? 
not strong in church for one month and then you don't, we don't see you again another month. Uh, it's, it's not you got a prayer life one week and then the next week you got no prayer life, right? Uh, but stability, finding balance in your walk with God. Uh, I've seen people and I've experienced, I myself have experienced, people come into the house of God and they're on fire, right? They're on fire and they just give everything. Praise the Lord. God bless you. Welcome. I heard there was a lot of traffic tonight. And yeah, several of our, our saints were not able to make it because of it. But, um, but you know, so, so they come and they're on fire and they're ready to just give up everything, right? And they're telling everybody they know and they're doing all this. Well, you know, then that lasts for a couple weeks. And then all of a sudden, it's like they drop off the face of the earth. And we don't see him again. Now, listen, that's okay. We're not here to knock that because that, that's a natural progression for every new saint where you get into this and it becomes so new and you're passionate about it. And then the world starts to kick in, right? Uh, like they say, you start realizing that uh, nobody in the church is perfect, right? At first you think everybody's angels, right? Then you start seeing the horns come out on everybody, praise God. And, uh, and then you slowly start getting more and more used to church and more used to God. And you become less stable. You begin to fall out. It's the purpose of the fivefold ministry to help you through that process so that you can become stable in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And let me tell you, it doesn't happen overnight. And, and we can't expect people to walk into the house of God and all of a sudden they're full-time, 100% preachers in Christ. Now, I've seen it happen. Don't, don't get me wrong. I've seen it happen. But, uh, but we, we have to recognize that is our job. It's to help people to grow and to get there. Uh, again, you know, it's a common saying, but I, I think it, it serves to be uh, said again. Uh, we don't get holy to get God. We get God to get holy, right? Hallelujah. So when people walk in, it's not this, we want them to 100% be coming and all this stuff. We'd love for them to do that, but it's, hey, we want to help you grow. We want to help you become stable. We want to help you to get rooted in the ground so that you can grow as a strong tree that nothing be able to knock you down. Oh, hallelujah. Nothing be able to knock you down. Praise God. I got to move on. But we can see, and we'll see as we go through this, we can see the role of the pastor over and over again in this, these, this list of what spiritual maturity looked like, where the pastor's hand is in it. And again, this isn't to undermine any other position. We'll talk about that. But it is to recognize that role of the pastor in it. All right. The body, again, we've gone through this, so we'll do it quickly, though. Uh, although it is not essential to label individual ministries, um, it is a good thing to have a general understanding of what these ministries look like, how they work, uh, and it certainly can help us find our place in the Lord. Now, these are ministerial office gifts. So specifically, God has designed and put leaders in the church to fulfill this role. You say, well, I'm not a leader in the church. Just hang on, because this is still important to you today. Hallelujah. So we've got the apostles. We call the apostles the feet of the church. Why? It's because the apostles are the visionaries. 
They're always moving the church forward. They're always reaching into different areas. Some of us may call them missionaries, right? We see missionaries that go overseas. They go places where the gospel's never been preached before. And yes, their goal is to bring the gospel, but also it's to spread the kingdom of God and to establish churches. Now, not all apostles, I don't believe, have to be missionaries to foreign mission field. I'm telling you, we need some apostles here in the city of Stewart. Hallelujah. We need people who have a vision that says, listen, we can grow in this area and that area. We can improve things and we can, you know, they've got that entrepreneurial spirit where they just, we just want to get things going, get things started. Hallelujah. I believe we need to get a work started in Port St. Lucie. Amen. We need to get work started in Hope Sound and, and Jupiter. You say, well, pastor, we got to get this off the ground first. I get it. But I'm telling you, we're not just going to get this off the ground and see how grow, big we can grow. All right? That's not our vision. Our vision is not to have this building packed. Our vision is to see souls saved. And the best way we can do that, yes, is to, to spread out here and bring people, but it's also to spread out and to preach the gospel wherever we can preach it. Amen. So the apostles are keeping us moving forward. The evangelists are the hands. They're reaching out to the lost. They're constantly reaching. Everywhere they go, they're reaching they're trying to help people. Their heart is toward those who are unbelievers. They want to help them get into the church. Pastors are the heart. They are communicating the Word of God. And the, the love of Christ is pumping through the body because, specifically, the pastor is supplying it. The pastor is supplying that. So just remember that because that's going to become a, a key point here in this lesson. Uh, number, number four, uh, the teachers. The teachers are the mouthpiece of the church. They are called to communicate the Word of God. They're specifically gifted in teaching, breaking down concepts, making it easily understandable, Right? so that even the youngest of the young can understand. Hallelujah. Teachers are breaking it down. They're the blenders of the church, right? And I'm not teaching on teachers. That'll be next lesson in this. But they're the blenders of the church. They're taking solids and they're blending it up. I know everybody, that's gross, you know, but hallelujah. But that's the role of the teacher. They're blending it so that it's liquefied, easily consumed, and easily brought on in the body so that even the young saints, immature saints, new saints are able to consume it without choking <laughs> and without having pain. That's the teachers. Again, that will be the next lesson in this series, the final lesson in this series. Hallelujah. Feels like we've been on this forever. It's been almost six months we've been teaching on this now, but... Uh, then the final ones are the prophets. Now, we spent actually two lessons. The prophet's the only one that we spent two lessons to teach on because specifically uh, I felt the need to teach on prophecy in the New Testament church. And all this is online. If you want to catch up on all of the lessons we've taught so far, 
there is uh, a, a series online, a, uh, a playlist online that you can find, and you can go in and watch from the beginning all the way through. But the prophets are the eyes. They're seeing in the spiritual realm. Their focus is on the gifts of the Spirit. They are sometimes spooky. <laughs> Kind of odd, kind of weird, kind of, they're talking about angels all the time and, and visions and dreams and all these things. Now, we believe in the supernatural, right? Just this Sunday, praise God, we had at least five people raise their hands and say that after we prayed for them, God completely healed them of their pain. There were at least five people. Hallelujah. So that was after service on Sunday. So we believe in gifts of the Spirit, signs and wonders, and the prophets are there to help us keep that as a focus. Now, when I say that, let me move on to this uh, point here, because this is where, again, you say, well, Pastor, I don't think I'm called to be in, in church leadership. Now, I'll argue with you on that one if you give me a chance to, because I just feel like everybody's called to be in church leadership or you're called to be in some sort of ministry. Let me say that, period. Every person is called to be in ministry and to be in ministry in the church in some capacity. Uh, and that's our goal. Our goal is to have 100% uh, 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 what's, what's it called? Um, participation, yes. But um, anyhow, we, we, want, uh, we don't want there to be any people who are without jobs. Okay, we want... 100%. Everybody who walks through that door, at some point, we hope to get you involved in some manner. Why? Because what a blessing, right? <laughs> to be able to come and be part of something bigger and to invest in that. So, but more specifically here tonight, how does this apply to you? I'm not a pastor. I'm not an apostle, prophet, all those things. It's better that we look at these. Yes, as God brings us leaders to help keep us focused in those areas. But what I have found is that these are really five departments that we need constantly in work in the church. Because, like I said, we believe in the supernatural and we believe in the prophetic. So whether or not there is one man or one woman called to be a prophet in our church, we need the prophetic in our church, right? So this isn't, well, there's one prophet in the church. There's one pastor, one apostle in the church. That's not, I don't believe that's what they meant for that to be. But rather, these are men that help to keep us focused in these areas. Praise God. Hallelujah. So, uh, again, God certainly calls men and women to fill these roles, but they're to help us stay focused in those areas so that we're not lacking. I think if we are without teaching, adequate teaching, we are lacking. So a teacher is there to keep us inspired by the Word of God, and hopefully people are going to say, hey, I want to be a teacher. I want to help teach the Word like that man or that woman does, right? And the prophet's there to keep us invested in the spiritual realm and say, man, I want to pray for people to be healed like the prophet does or prophesy over somebody in a supernatural way like he does. So they, they're meant to be, yes, offices where men and women can fill, but it's so that they can spread it to the the church and everybody can be involved. Moses said it best. I wish that all were prophets. 
Hallelujah. I wish everybody would prophesy in the church. I wish everybody would teach in the church and lead in the church and, and love in the church and, and, and have vision for the church. I wish everybody would do that, right? So if you say, well, I'm not called to be this specifically, that specifically, here's what I'd tell you. You're called to be involved. And tonight, this might be the area specifically you're meant to be involved in. So how can I be involved in these areas? Well, the focus of each office, praise the Lord. My mother-in-law just walked in, not to embarrass her or anything, but it's wonderful to have her here as well. So the focus of each office, the apostles' focus is mission. Their focus is on mission, vision. They're trying to keep the church moving forward. The prophet's focus is spirit. They're, they're looking into the spiritual realm. The evangelist's focus is unbelievers. They're constantly reaching out. And you know, they're sometimes upset with everybody else in the church when they feel like the rest of the church isn't reaching out, right? Uh, and, and this is true. And we've almost every time we've done this, we've talked about the same thing. Each one of these, they have strengths and they have weaknesses. And if we're not careful, we can become imbalanced and say everything's about unbelievers. No, we need to focus on unbelievers, but not, not everything's about that. And not everything's about mission and everything's about spirit. Let's not forget the other fivefold ministries, right? The other offices and departments. The pastor's focus is believers, the church. Now, again, I'm not saying that this is the only thing they're focusing on, but what I'm saying is these are the key areas that they're focusing on. The teacher's focus is doctrine. That word doctrine means the teaching of a congregation or a church. The teacher's focus is doctrine. And sometimes a teacher may forsake the feeling of somebody for the doctrine, right? Because they're not like the pastor who's, primary focus is love and bringing people together, their primary focus is doctrine, right? So we see where each one of these, they have their role. And with all five, it keeps us balanced, keeps us moving forward, keeps us growing. Hallelujah. I'm wondering if right now we can just say, Jesus, give us a fivefold ministry. Jesus, give us each and every one of these, Lord. We want the apostle. We want the prophet. We want the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher, Lord God. Give us each and every one of these, Lord. Give us people, Lord God, who desire to work in these areas. In the name of Jesus, thank you, Lord. Praise God. Now, tonight we're focusing primarily or specifically on the pastor. The word pastor literally means shepherd. Of course, that, that uh, it has many implications in the Hebrew culture, which really was an agriculture culture. They, they uh, were constantly, that, that was their means, they were shepherds. From the beginning, when God called Abraham out, he first became a shepherd, and then that was the primary role in Israel throughout all of its history. It was being a shepherd. It was uh, uh, taking care of sheep and flocks of sheep and other farm animals 
uh, as well, but shepherd. So in the New Testament, the Old Testament, the word pastor or shepherd had a big meaning to them. They knew exactly what it meant when somebody would say a shepherd because most of them were shepherds or had family members who were shepherds or friends who were shepherds because it was such an important and common role in the the New Testament era and the Old Testament era. So um, this word pastor, now this is very interesting. Now, I, I know today we probably all have a general idea what a pastor is, right? We, we're very familiar. You're probably, if I were to, to guess, I'd say we will probably be more comfortable describing what a pastor is than an apostle, right? Or maybe a prophet or an evangelist. Because a pastor is a very common term uh, that we use in our culture today. We use it all of the time to reference a church leader, somebody who is over a church. In actuality, the word or the title pastor, even though it's more recognizable these days than the others, it's actually in the Bible less than the others. In fact, the word pastor is only used one time in the New Testament. One time. And that is in Ephesians chapter 4, where we just read it. So that is the one and only time that that word pastor is used. But we know the meaning behind the word pastor has even a broader uh, understanding. As the pastor, we also can apply, and church history has taught us to apply. That word means the bishop or overseer or elder. So there are other titles that were used. I think when uh, the writer of Ephesians, when Paul was writing the book of Ephesians, he said, you know, I want to give a little bit more uh, clarity. I don't just want to put an overseer or an elder. In the five-fold ministry, these are all so defined. Let me put a pastor. Let me put a role in there. And everybody's going to know exactly what it is because the pastor is the overseer. The pastor is the elder. The pastor is the one who's leading the flock. He says, but let me put that title in there because that is truly the definition of the elder or the overseer. And though, again, it's not risen above in the sense of it's more important than the other roles or, or greater than the other roles, it has been established in a position of authority over the other roles. And I will give you the reason I believe that God has done that. Um, So the New Testament also uses the words bishop, meaning overseer, and elders of the office. The New Testament always speaks of elders in the plural, indicating that in each city the church was led by a pastoral team and not just one man. Now, I do believe that there's evidence to suggest it wasn't only a pastoral team, and I'll explain that in a minute, but we see in Acts chapter 20, verse 17, and from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. Now, I think it's important to note he sent it to Ephesus. Now, where did he write the letter 
of the fivefold ministry, where we find the fivefold ministry. It's to the Ephesians in Ephesus. Uh, so he, these are the exact people he's talking about in Ephesians. He called the elders of the church, and we read in verse 28, he talks to the elders of the church for a while, but then we read this. He take heed, therefore, unto yourself and to all the flock. So again, he's connecting it back to that title of pastor. Over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he has purchased with his own Blood. So here we see the role of a pastor is to oversee and feed the sheep, specifically. Oversee and feed the sheep. So in general, I do not, though again, we've, we've kind of uplifted the role of the pastor. The role of the pastor is kind of just a general term in our culture we use for every minister and, you know, all that um, but overall, I do think that our understanding of the role of the pastor is biblical. Where like a, a evangelist, I don't think our, our understanding these days of the word evangelist matches the scriptural understanding or apostle or prophet. The pastor is very similar because they are called to be overseers. That word overseer, uh, well, I don't want to jump ahead, but we'll talk specifically about what that word overseer means. But when it says to feed the sheep, that is the primary role of the pastor. In fact, in Ephesians 4, it says some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. It leaves out the word some, implying that the role of a pastor and a teacher are so linked together, it's as if they are one. Now, I believe that there are teachers that may not necessarily be called to be a pastor, but every pastor is called to be a teacher. Every pastor is called to be a teacher. Uh, and, and again, they may not be as uh, uh, good at it as the, uh, the person in the teacher role, but they must be a teacher. Listen, if you want to help in the department of pastorship, and again, you don't feel called to be a pastor, but you want to, you say, you know, I feel like I'm called to this, then that means you got to have a desire to teach. First uh, Timothy chapter 3 and 2 tells us, he's talking about a bishop. He says he must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior. Now, this is a bishop, but this is one thing he said specifically, apt to teach. The teacher's not the only one who should be teaching. The bishop, the overseers need to have a passion for teaching. I love preaching. I love teaching. I think it's both essential and a preacher, a pastor rather, has to be able to teach. Scripture, history, and common sense all indicate that there was a senior pastor or presiding elder over the elders of a church. In fact, if you read the book of Revelations chapter 2 and 3, you see where Jesus addressed the letter to the angel of that church in Asia Minor. It is believed that the angel, which literally means messenger, is actually referring to the old the, the overseer, the one who is the elder or pastor of that area. 
So no doubt they had several pastors, but there was one that was the main pastor. And we can see where that culturally works out. Uh, you know, it doesn't help to have two heads, right? Two-headed dragon just messes things up. So it, it helps to have one main leader, but that doesn't mean we can't have more than one pastor. I'm telling you, we got to get to a point where we need more than just one pastor in the church, praise God. Hallelujah, because uh, it shouldn't be just one man who's loving and caring for the sheep and teaching the sheep and feeding the sheep, right? Hallelujah. So we need more than that. I think this goes, again, to support the idea that these are meant to be departments and not just leaders in the roles, but departments for the whole church to partake in. All right, let's break down that word uh, overseer. The, the air conditioner is down, right? I'm just, I'm just hot. All right. Overseer. Uh, I just must be nervous. That's all. Hallelujah. It's a man charged with the duty. This is actually the uh, official definition of the Greek word that we get overseer. A man charged with the duty of seeing that things to be done by others are done rightly. Any curator, guardian, or superintendent. So we see this is a very broad role, right? But we see where, okay, this means this is somebody who's going to make sure things run efficiently in the church. Now, when I came in and I became pastor, I'm going to be very, you know, straight with you tonight about my experiences, becoming pastor, learning how to become a pastor, all of that. Uh, you know, like you'd expect anything else, right? Hallelujah. But, but my experience when I came in, I was very inadequate at administration. I had to learn how to administer and how to oversee, how to work a budget, how to work the finances and, and how to lead people and put ministries together. And, and I feel like we kind of figured it out. Now we're doing really well. We're still working on it every, every day. Kavan and I, hallelujah, every week we're talking about it and bouncing off ideas. So, you know, but that's what a pastor needs to do. We need people who have a desire that says, you know what, I believe in the spiritual side of church, but we still need some administrators, some people who can oversee things and make sure things are done adequately and people are doing as they're meant to do. So pastors need to be leaders, not just pulpit, pulpiteers, right? They need to be leaders. The pastor is positioned as the overseer. Now, this is just so interesting to me. Why would the pastor, why didn't God make a sixth office, the administrator or the overseer, Right? Why didn't he do a six office? I will tell you exactly my opinion why the pastor is the one charged with these duties. I believe it is because the heart of the pastor is, although a pastor needs to be administrative, they need to be able to oversee and be leaders, ultimately the pastor has to be people conscious overall. We don't want people who are administrative conscience over everything. Now, they have their place and their role, and they're going to be very beneficial to the church. But in the top of the church, to oversee it all, we need people whose mindset and whose heart pumps for people 
and not just budgets and attendance roles and all of those things, but people conscious leaders. Is that all right here today? Praise God. Hallelujah. I have observed that some of the greatest pastors, they were not extraordinary in preaching, giftings, talents. Some of the greatest pastors I've seen pastoring large, large church, took their churches from nothing and made it into something. They weren't great orators. In fact, you don't always care to listen to them preach. (laughs) But it's because of their love for people that people want to come. And maybe they're not great orators and there's others who might be able to do it much better. It's, that doesn't matter because the role of the pastor primarily needs to be people conscience. And if you want to be effective as a pastoral figure or in the department of pastorship, then that's what you need to become. People conscience, where your heart beats for people to love people. Hallelujah. Praise God. And I can tell you again, that's another area where I misunderstood. I was a youth pastor for eight years before I became a pastor. I came and became a pastor, and my mindset was, I'm just going to preach and preach and preach, and we're going to do this and do that. We're going to preach, and it's going to be awesome, and people are going to come and all that. And I can tell you, it was about three or four years as being pastor, I just realized, I don't even know what it means to be a pastor, honestly. And I actually went on a search. I started buying as many books as I could about pastoring. I said, what does it mean to be a pastor? Does it mean just standing behind a pulpit and preaching? And what I conclude is that a pastor, that right there, a pastor has to become people conscious. And it wasn't until I started seeing the people as individuals and going out of my way to love them and to care for them Then we started to see fruit and people started to grow and to become what God had called them to become. Hallelujah. So one figure in scripture that we could look at as a pastoral figure is Peter. Now I'm not here to say he was a pope or anything like that, but we can see the evidence of him being very pastoral. Yes, he was one of the 12 apostles, but we can see again In his writings, the heart of a pastor, we can see where even Jesus implies that he is to serve in that role. So 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 1. This is, I feel, a pastor writing to pastors. He says, the elders or pastors which are among you, I exhort who am also an elder or a pastor and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Look at this. Feed the flock of God. We see that over and over and over again. Feed the flock of God. Now, I recognize a shepherd might, you know, throw a, a, some food in the bucket, hallelujah, and the, the flock come running. Those who are mature know to come and to run to that bucket to get their food, but you got the little ones where the, the shepherd can't just put it in a bucket. They got to go and feed them one by one. 
and give them that personal nourishment. So again, feed the flock of God doesn't mean, okay, a pastor's just called to stand behind a pulpit and preach. No, but a good pastor knows how to feed each lamb, every, every sheep individually, and to give it what it needs so that they can grow and become strong in the Lord. Hallelujah. So he says, feed the flock of God which is among you. Taking the oversight thereof. Again, we see that word, oversight. Not by constraint, but willingly. willingly. Not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. So we've already talked about what a pastor does. Let's talk about the heart of a pastor for a minute. Is that all right? Hallelujah. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being ensembles to the flock or examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Praise God. Hallelujah. So although these scriptures can be applied to any leader in the church, they specifically are directed toward the elders or the pastors. So what are pastors supposed to be? Our pastors are to serve willingly, not be compelled. Hallelujah. You don't need to be told to love people. You don't need to be told to greet somebody that comes through the door, a first-time guest or somebody new to the church. You don't have to be told that. Why? Because you serve willingly. Praise God. Hallelujah. Nobody's dangling a, you know, a treat on a stick to try to get you to come and get involved in ministry. No, pastors are to serve willingly. It doesn't matter what they get in return, Right? but they're going to serve willingly. I'm telling you, there's been times, praise God. There's been times I've spent hours and hours on the phone with people. Hours and hours. One specific I spent, oh man, it was probably 20 hours one week on the phone with this individual. And within a week, they moved away. In fact, they lied to me. They didn't actually move away. Uh, now, I don't know why. I, I just did what I was called to do, was just love them. And so, well, that was a waste of your time. Well, it probably was. But I don't do it because I'm compelled to do it. I do it willingly because I love people. And I want to see people saved. And I want to see people grow. And I want to help people. I'm not trying to tell you pastoring's easy. In fact, it's difficult. Hallelujah. And we'll talk more and more about that today. But, but we got to do it willingly. Praise God. Hallelujah. I sometimes serve willingly. My, my wife sometimes not so willing. Hallelujah. Because she's the one who has to, you know, keep dinner hot on the stove while I'm outside on the phone. Which has happened more than once. More than twice, more than probably 20, 30 times. Hallelujah. Because I'm on the phone with somebody. But listen, and you say, well, that's the pastor of the church. He's supposed to do that. No, that's everybody. If you love people and you want people to grow, it doesn't matter if you've got a title. Why? Because you serve willingly. Nobody has to compel you to live with a title. Nobody has to compel you to love people so that you can stand behind a pulpit. No, but you love them. So you willingly take time to be with them. You serve eagerly. 
not greedily. You're not trying to benefit off this. Now, I'll be honest, I I think a majority of pastors these days are pastoring primarily because they realize they can make money out of it. Is that all right to say? Just in general? Hallelujah. And, hey, you know, you don't have to worry about that with me because I'm not making any money out of this, all right? Praise God. And that's the truth. (laughs) We put in more money. Anyhow. I'm going to leave that alone. But you serve eagerly, not greedily. It's not about getting rich. And, And you know what? Let me just go ahead and say this. It's not about seeing people come to church. I know we want to see people. I know we want these chairs filled. Oh, hallelujah. But we got to love people no matter what and be eager to love them. I got somebody who comes in every day at work. This person is, she's an interesting person. She comes and she knows I'm a pastor, so she talks to me and she's been telling me about all of her marriage issues and her husband moved away and I'm you know, trying to help her and I sent her sermons and lessons and I've done all this and trying to help her and she doesn't do a single bit of it. But, but she comes in every day and wants to talk to me and wants to tell me all of her problems and you know what, I just go and I say, all right, well, let's hear it today, all right? Let's hear it today and I'm eager All right, let's do it. Praise God. Let me know what's going on today. I don't know that I got the answers, but I can be an ear to hear. Hallelujah. Praise God. And I'm not getting anything out of this. Hallelujah. In fact, I might get fired because of it one day because I'm listening to her tell me all her problems every day. Hallelujah. But you know what? I do it eagerly because I'm not trying to benefit out of it. I must come to a point where I'm serving eagerly for this. I got to move on. I'm sorry. I'm taking way too long. Serve by being an example, not by being a dictator. I know we look at the pastor and we can say, well, that's a leader of the church. Many years ago, this isn't so much the case these days, but many years ago, there was this big thing. You got to listen to the pastor. You got to listen to the man of God. Don't talk bad about the man of God, all those things. Now, I still believe in those things in a general rule. Hallelujah. But before, in many years ago, several years ago, there was this idea of the apostolic pastoral authority. I still believe that God anoints and God gives that pastoral authority. But let me be clear to you today, we're not here just trying to exercise some authority and say, listen or else, right? Hallelujah. Church leaders cannot assert authority to compel obedience. People don't listen these days, all right? People don't have a fear of the man of God like they once did. You can't do that these days. We must serve people in order to encourage imitation of our example. I, you know, pastors can't just stand behind the pulpit and say, you need to do this and everybody's just going to do it. No, you love them and you show them how to do it. Uh, Hallelujah. You don't drive the sheep. You lead the sheep. Praise 
praise God. But if you love people and you're a good leader, you're not going to have to force anybody to do anything. They'll follow you, praise God. What did Paul say? He said, follow me as I follow after Christ. That needs to be every leader's mindset. I'm not pushing people and forcing people and trying to, to, to hold hell over people's heads. No, I'm leading them and saying, listen, I'm going to heaven. I want you to follow. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Jesus, Matthew 20, 25. Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them. And they that are great exercise authority upon them. There are some churches, they are built based on fear of the man of God. Hallelujah. That only gets you so far. That's not our, our method here. You, you have a fear of God. Don't worry about the man of God. You can have a respect for the man of God. I'm not saying, but we're not building the church off fear like the Gentiles do. But look at this. Hallelujah. Verse 26. There we go. But it shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. That word minister means servant. Let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, listen, I right here, let him be your servant. I'm right here. I need to be the biggest servant of them all. Hallelujah. If you want to be... be chief among them, if you want to be a leader in the church, you want to be great in the church and others follow you, it's not about trying to exercise more authority. I once bought a book. It said how to convince people to do what you want them to do. I read about 15 pages of it and I tossed it because it was all about how to exercise authority. You stand up straight. You intimidate. You do all this. And I said, God, that's not who you want me to be. You want me to be a servant. You want me to be humble. You want me to be meek. You want me to be loving. Praise God. J.T. Pugh, who is a great man of God, a leader in our movement, he said in the book Pentecostal Ministry, he said, I have been asked more than once, how much authority does a pastor have? As a starter, I usually simply reply, you have as much authority as the people will give you. That's it. Now, we've talked about influence. We've talked about how nobody's going to listen to you without influence. And influence is only built out of love and care. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I know we're all these taglines, but listen, it's true. No one can exercise force and love at the same time. You can't do it. It's impossible. Even Jesus Christ himself awaits the invitation and consent of the people. Revelations 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If any man hear my voice and open up the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Jesus doesn't come and kick down the door. No, he knocks. He says, I'm here. And you just got to be willing. You just got to be willing to say, come on in, Jesus. I invite you in. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. You say, well, pastor, Hebrews 13, 17 says, obey them that have the rule over you. Submit yourselves. It's a pretty heavy passage of Scripture. Listen, I live by that principle right there. 
And I believe if you live by that principle, you'll be blessed. But look at the reasons he says to do it. He doesn't say, for they've got authority over you. They're my called man or woman of God and you must listen to them. No, these are the reasons they give. For they watch for your soul as that they may give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief. Why? Because it's unprofitable for you. I've put them in your life to bless you, to help you. You don't listen to them. It's not about authority. It's about you're not going to be as blessed and as profitable because I put them in your lives. So, so again, we talk about on that end, but let's talk about on the other end. Hallelujah. As a man of God, I, I'm not here to force people to listen to me. Hallelujah. If I want to be an effective pastor, I need to make it a point that if people will follow me, they're going to be profitable. As a pastor, I want you to be profitable. I want you to grow. I want you to become stronger in the Lord. Praise God. Hallelujah. And I believe, praise the Lord. And I, I, and I think I can say this with confidence. I believe if you will obey, you will submit, you'll live by those principles, God will bless you. God will make you profitable. But I'm not here to lord over the flock and to be your king. I'm your brother in the Lord. But God has anointed me and blessed me as a pastor. Let's come along each each other and let's work for God. I'm almost done. Number four, serve as the under shepherd. These are not my sheep. These are not your sheep. We are the under shepherds. This is Christ's flock. He's the chief shepherd. He's just put them into our hands, put the church in our hands, put the people in our hands for us to love on them and care for them and lead them. These are his sheep. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm just here to help. I'm just here to be here. So Jesus Christ is the head of the body, not me. Jesus Christ is the head of the body. Finally, how, how does Peter know and understand all this? Because Peter learned the true heart of the pastor. He had messed up, and I'll end on this point. I got more to go, but I'll end here because I know it's very late. He messed up time and time again. He neglected God. Before the cock crow, you shall deny me thrice. Jesus was arrested, Peter was scared. He stood by what the Bible says was a bonfire. And around that bonfire three times, people said, aren't you one of his followers? And Peter said, no, that's not me. Don't listen to that. I'm not one of his followers. Three times he denied Christ. After the third time, the cock crowed. The Bible says he ran away and wept and cried. The next time we really see Peter, Jesus is sitting on the beach. He's got a bonfire going, and he's cooking shit, uh, fish. And the disciples are out on the water, and they're fishing. And he says, come unto me. Peter jumps out of the boat and swims over to him. The disciples come, and Jesus feeds them fish. This is after he's resurrected. He feeds them fish. It uses the same word for bonfire, only two times ever used in Scripture. It's for that moment, 
and the moment Peter was around the bonfire when he denied Christ. And after they had eaten, after they dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Peter saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter said, Yes, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. The third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved. He was aggravated. I wonder if his thoughts were going back to that bonfire where three times he denied Christ and three times Jesus is asking him, do you love me? He said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. And for the third time, Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. Because I believe Jesus wanted him to be firm in the calling he had on his life. Well, pastor, I'm not, I'm not doing well. I'm still dealing with sin, and I'm dealing with carnality, and I'm dealing with this and that. I, I don't know if I can take that seriously. I don't know if I can serve in the role of the pastor. Let me ask you a question. Do you love Jesus? Feed his sheep. Do you love Christ? Feed his sheep. I, I know things aren't perfect. I know you've struggled. Hallelujah. But if God's calling you today and you say, you know what, I feel like I'm drawn to this. I feel like God's calling me to love people and to help people. Here's what I'll say to you. Feed the sheep of God. That needs to be our motivation. It's the love of Christ. That needs to be our motivation. If we could all stand today. Another pastoral example is Timothy in Scripture. Philippians 2.19 says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state naturally care for your state. We need some people who will just naturally care for other people. You say, well, I don't know who they are. That's a great opportunity to love them and to care for them and to be there for them. Well, Pastor, I'm new to the church. That doesn't make any difference because when you've got the heart of a pastor, it's going to come natural to love people and to care for people and to go out of your way to, to be with people and to encourage people and to feed the flock. Hallelujah. Today, I'm just calling on some people and saying, would you open up your heart 
and say, I've got a love for God, and that love for God makes me just naturally care and want to help other people. Can we come down to the altar just for a minute, not long, but for a minute, come down to the altar and just say, Jesus, give me your heart for the people. Jesus, give me your heart. Give me the heart of a pastor. When Jesus saw the multitude, he said specifically to pray because they were like sheep.